my my wife, she's so smoking hot. So this podcast is your smoking hot wife. You are listening to the Future Church Podcast. It is an honor to have you with us every single week. Today's episode is a special one. We are joined by Ian Bailey, good friend, church planter, and entrepreneur. He talks all about the marriage between planting a church, leading in a church in staff capacity, as well as starting his own business, running it and expanding that and how those two meet together. This is a really, really great episode. You might even listen to it twice, but before we get started with today's episode, we'd love for you to hit that subscribe button as we always ask. We release an episode every single Thursday of the week. Uh, Whether you're listening on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere else, give us a five-star review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. And also, if you feel so inclined, leave us a review that'll help us to get up in the ratings and get the word out to as many people as possible. If you feel compelled as well, feel free to share this episode with a friend who cares about the future of the church. And now for today's episode. Welcome back to the Future Church Podcast. My name is Taylor, and as always, I am joined by my co-host, Ashish Joy. Ashish, what's going on? Not much, man. Good to be back. Another episode. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) we are joined today by a special guest and a potential future co-host, depending on how well he does tonight. We've got Ian Ian Bailey uh, on the podcast. What's up? Right now. How are we doing, Ian? Hello, hello. What is up, my friends? And it's going to be a good episode. Uh, I think it's my favorite yet, and we are only about 25 seconds in. And so... Ian, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, before I do, as you say, it's like your your favorite yet. You just remind me of like youth pastors. Like my my wife, she's so smoking hot. So this podcast is your smoking hot wife. Well, okay, let's 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 rewind. Let's okay, rewind. you can edit that out. I've too. never <laughs> said I'm a youth pastor. I've been a youth pastor for almost twelve years, and I've never said anything like that. Like one time, I tried. Um, yeah. to do something like that with Noel, like, isn't she so whatever? And I couldn't take myself seriously. Um, yeah. and so, uh, I, I just, in defense of youth pastors, I don't know any who do that, who are still taken seriously. I'll just say it that way. It's a tired trope, Ian, tired trope. Well, this podcast is smoking hot. So <laughs> I will just like our wives to get canceled starting out, <laughs> starting out well here as the co-host, um, <laughs> well, maybe, start, maybe I'll just start with how I know you guys. We all went to Bible. Yeah, yesterday. actually, wait, 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 wait. Let me, yeah. let me, let me intro Ian. We're very excited to have Ian Bailey on the podcast with us today. Um, my favorite memory of Ian. So we were all three of us, Taylor, Ian, and myself, we were at Bible college together, or as other people call it, bridal college. Anyway, um, but we met, uh, you know, in Bible college, became good friends. My favorite, literally my favorite memory of Ian is um, one day I come ho- c- come back up to the cafeteria and I see there's an Obama Biden sign on the top of the cafeteria, like literally on on the on the cafeteria <laughs> walls. And you and I, I forget, Ian, how you did this, but it's my favorite memory of Bible college. One of my favorite memories of Bible college. Um, just knowing that like somebody in this Christian Bible college put up this sign for Obama, like Democrat. Um, it was the funniest, most epic moment ever. So I, that's how I want to introduce you to our, to our listeners. I'm like putting up political lawn signs. It was the best <laughs> because the thing, the thing about Ian, and I'll say this as his friend, um, Ian is authentic and he's always honest. Um, and so over the last like 10 years, um, uh, he's lived in Burlington, Vermont, and he's built a business. He serves at a church. He's a dad. He's a husband. He's, he's doing a lot. And it's pretty cool to watch his journey. And so it's a real privilege to have him on the podcast with us. So without further ado, Ian, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about who you are, how you know us or whatever you want to say about us. <laughs> But it's really good to have you on the pod so far. No, glad to be here. I'm a faithful listener. I've been listening to the podcast since episode one every week. Yeah. And yeah, it's good stuff. So thanks for sharing with us. 
Um, I'm as Ashish mentioned, I live in Burlington, Vermont, and I moved out here 10 and a half years ago to be a part of a church plant. And yeah, the help of kind of this small church get started and got to know Ashish and Taylor at Bible college and in our time at, at Bible college. And actually a little bit after that as well, because you guys, I think were, I don't know how many years in front of me you were. We were one year ahead of you, I believe. Yeah. Did you come in 06? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Were you a spring semester person though, or were you fall? I was a, I was a, a normal okay. fall semester. <laughs> I couldn't remember. You came from Hawaii. Everything's upside down there. So yes. Yeah. I don't know what that means. I was but... really nervous when you were telling that story. I also don't remember that at all. <laughs> you don't remember sense. that? Makes sense. You know, Ashish wow. just likes to make... for Obama, <laughs> Biden. Ashish but... just likes to make everything political. <laughs> it's actually quite ridiculous. Uh, oh, man. Well, everything about politics it just makes everything about politics. It's like it's like everything is spiritual. Can we keep it about the kingdom? You, you can kind of say if everything's spiritual, everything's political, maybe. No, that's not what this podcast is everything about. Everything is spiritual. That my uh, my wife that rings a bell. Mm-hmm. See what I did there? Sorry. No, my wife, Luann, as you mentioned, Portland Bridal College whom I also met out in the West Coast in Portland. She was actually living in Seattle at the time. But she told me the story of the day Obama was elected, that she went back to the girls' dorm room and that there there were tears flowing. Like tears of sadness. I believe it. So That happened in in dorm four of PBC as well when I was there. There There were definitely tears flowing. I see. I don't remember any tears flowing, but I do remember being curious because I I don't know about you guys, but I grew up. I definitely grew up in a in a world that wasn't so much afraid of. You know, I, I grew up in a pretty conservative home, I guess, uh, or church environment, and but I remember a conversation actually Ashish and I had, where we were talking about you know things we agreed with, things we didn't agree with, but how we're like, yeah, I mean, and I remember both of us saying, I feel like. Obama's going to be pretty good. Like he's going to be, he's going to be all right. And I remember there wasn't like this fear in the air or anything like that. And so, I mean, we could spend a whole hour talking about just the environment around these last two elections and the fear that was there, but that's not what we're here to talk about. So not the fear church podcast, it's future church. So that's right. I love it. I love the spin. (laughs) So, so Ian, so so you started telling us about how you were, uh, you know, you start, started at this church plant in yep. Burlington, um, and yeah, walk us through a bit of that journey. How did you? How how did give us give us kind of the cliff notes of how you got from where you are back then? Like you started a business, you became a dad. Like, love to hear a bit of that journey. I think our listeners would benefit from it. Yeah, I'm trying to get to maybe the cliff notes version. But yeah, we moved out here to be a part of this church plant. We got married, actually moved to Vermont a month before my wife and I got married. We got married in 2010 and we went on our honeymoon and we came back and then we both lived in Vermont. We got married in upstate New York. So she was living there for a few months, getting ready for the wedding. And I was here working at Longhorn Steakhouse as a waiter and... We came back and spent a few years working different random jobs while I I was actually a volunteer staff at the church for five or six years. And I'm on, I'm I'm on staff now with the church and have been for about five years now, Uh, maybe six years. I'm not quite sure. I think about six years now. So I was, I was on volunteer staff for about four years and around a little bit after that, I started a coffee business called Vivid Coffee. It's a coffee roasting business. We recently opened our first cafe a few months ago, which has been a lot of fun. It's been really, really challenging and difficult to do so in the, I mean, it's a challenging thing to kind of undertake during any season, but it's been especially difficult because of this season that we're all in right now. Um, But yeah, I started Vivid Coffee in 2015 and 
it was just kind of an expression of a passion of mine. I was work I had worked as a barista for many years and fell in love with really good coffee in the Northwest. So, you know, hanging out in Portland, if a cafe didn't have or a restaurant oh, didn't yeah. have Stumptown, who who were they? Could you even trust well, them, right? So so for our listeners, just to jump in here, Ian and Luann would come and visit Portland every so often. And literally every time they came, I would, you know, I'd get together with Ian, like we go grab a coffee or something. But the funny thing is like, it'd be like mid morning when we'd hang out. And by the time we hung out, he would tell me, I've been to like five coffee shops already. I've drank a bunch of espressos. And I'm like, what the heck? Like, who are you, man? But, but um, I remember like you introduced me to Kova um, and, and all the cool coffee shops. I feel like you, you were like instrumental in saying, Ashish, like, check it check out this coffee shop or try this or try that. And so anyway, so just to, just to caveat for our listeners, like Ian loves coffee. And so it's really cool to see him do this business where he's like, it's something that he's turned into a, like a, a you know, a profitable thing. And so anyway, yeah. How did, how did it move from hobby passion to something that you saw yourself really doing at a more like career kind of bigger picture, like capacity? That's a, that's a great question. Actually, when I started Vivid Coffee, I wasn't working as a barista at the time. I had kind of transitioned out of coffee into kind of a more serious restaurant environment where I was working as a manager, bartender, server in a few local area restaurants that were doing interesting stuff. And I got into wine as well. And I had also struck up a, 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 you know, a long-standing friendship with actually uh, a fellow Pacific Northwesterner. I don't know. How do you say that? You guys are in the hood. Sounds about right. Yeah. Okay. W. Um, left coaster. Left coaster. Who? Yeah. <laughs> who actually was one of the founders of Kova Coffee, and he had moved to California and started a couple separate businesses there. And he would just was encouraging me to do it. He said, you know, there's no one roasting coffee in your area and who's up to the standards that you've come to expect out of specialty coffee. You have a passion for it. And he encouraged me to do it, challenged me to do it, helped me find a little tiny baby coffee roaster. And I just jumped into it. That's wild. And what, what leveled you up? Because I can imagine... Like I've got some friends who do the same sort of thing or they're, you know, brewing or they're doing these different things and it's in their garage. It's for fun. But then, you know, I got a buddy who's doing the same kind of thing and he's like, I could like actually take this. I got one friend who's doing skateboards. He makes custom longboards. And he's like, if I go for this, I got to go for it. What made you go for it versus keeping it small, boutique, doing it as you want, managing your own, like, like it was fun. You might've made some side as a side hustle to like, what put you over the edge? I think at first it was just fun to be a part of growing something. I think that was probably a part of just who I am. It's why I moved to Vermont to help start a, a small church community, a small community of faith and starting vivid coffee was just, it was a fun thing to do. And so that's kind of how it started. It was just fun to be a part of growing it to, meet these challenges that I was facing as a small business. And as the business grew and as I grew in knowledge and expertise, my passion around coffee began to evolve. So my goal was really when I got started just to be the best coffee roaster in Vermont. That was my goal. And that's fine. Like I I think that's still in many ways, my goal is I want to be the best coffee roaster in Vermont. I want to roast the best coffee. I want to be the best at roasting coffee in the area, but my passions evolved to learning more about the the, the supply chain in coffee and all of the different hands that go into making coffee. And I think what I realized was it wasn't really the coffee. It was the people connected to the coffee community that really motivated me. So whether that was our local community, we, we had, a you know, I wasn't running a cafe, but my roaster was actually located inside of a cafe. 
So I was subleasing space from a coffee shop. And I did that intentionally. Like most roasters are going to get like a industrial warehouse space somewhere, but wow. I could not stand being somewhere outside of the community. So my roaster was kind of crammed into a corner of this cafe and I just wanted to be a part of the community. And I think I realized more and more that I could be a part of cultivating that community, not only locally, but really looking at the, the global community, the global supply chain of coffee from coffee farmers and pickers and establishing relationships with producers. And this is all kind of like buzzwordy, but for me, like it's a really meaningful element of what I do, which is making connections with, with people and with communities through the work that I'm doing and trying to do that in a way that's good for the world, good for people. And, uh, ultimately still looking for super delicious coffee as well. Love it. Yeah. I love the idea of story. I think that's really cool. Uh, and I'm sure that's had a part to play in how you approach ministry as well. But yeah, yeah. I, I was going to add in just to go along with your, your exploration there on community, like how you wanted to stay in the community. You know, we've had a few conversations these over this last year about how you felt like doing this was not, you weren't just doing it to make money. You were also doing it because there was this ministry kind of aspect to it. Uh, I would love for you to kind of explore that for our listeners, like, this idea of vocational, bivocational uh, ministry, if you will, where you're a pastor um, serving at your church, both in you know volunteer capacity and then eventually on staff in a part-time capacity, to also like viewing your coffee shop and and your your you know the the business you've started as as a ministry as well. Yeah, I don't I don't know if I would consider the business a ministry, so to speak, but I do think that my thoughts around that have evolved over time. I think for me, initially, it was kind of a fun way to make money, right? Like, oh, I can do something that I like, and that I enjoy, and I have a passion for. And if I can make money doing that, then that's cool. That's fun. And then I began to realize that as you grow a business, you have the opportunity to impact people around you, and to make a difference. And so for me, um, while I might not use the term ministry, so to speak, though maybe that is what it is in some ways, um, I think in, in a lot of ways, I, I would think of the, the values that I apply and take to how I approach business with Vivid Coffee. I, I, I would consider those to be aligned with values that you see in the kingdom of God, right? Love Val it. Values that lead to more human flourishing more flourishing, you know, in, in our world and, and address issues that, you know, of, of brokenness, of things that aren't right and work towards seeing healing and repair and renewal in our world. Well, talk. so you say human flourishing. Yeah. Let's expand on that. I love that idea and how a lot of times we in efforts to propel, you know, the gospel or whatever, we end up reducing it uh, and or minimizing the idea that you just spoke of. So maybe you could expand on when you talk about human flourishing as it relates to part of our mission as human beings and then as a part of our mission as as Christians, as, as, as church, Jesus people, uh, what does it look like to be a proponent of, of that? Yeah, I think... I think to me, when I think about the kingdom of God, I'm thinking not only about something else at some place else at some other time. And really this comes from, you know, theologians like N.T. Wright, who have done a lot of work around, you know, kind of kingdom of God theology and Jesus's teaching and life and, and how that related to the kingdom of God, but not someplace else, somewhere else for some other time but that the life that God is inviting us into as followers of Jesus is a, a life that starts here, here and now. I, I don't know if there's anything like revolutionary or wild to that thought though. Oh, you know, I'll, I'll kind of maybe, I, th I think 
you know, thinking about Taylor in my context, um, Taylor and Maple Valley, a, a suburb of Seattle, Covington. me here, or Covington, that's right. I keep saying Maple Valley. Um, and then uh, me out, out here in Seattle, more urban. Um, Ian, as you talk about human flourishing, the thought that comes to my mind is this idea of um, connecting with people around me who are not necessarily part of my community that are not part of my church, but mm -hmm. it is for the benefit of the communal good. Right. And, and that's the thing I love about like what you do and, and what you represent. Like you have this, you have this ability to connect with the community in ways that um, it like coffee is this third place, right? It's this third place people go to and hang out and spend time at. And then also like when you, when you buy coffee and the, the smell of coffee every morning, waking up to that, it's a part of everyone's lives. It makes people's lives better. I mean, you shouldn't drink too much coffee. You might get in trouble, but like I mean, Taylor drinks a lot. I, I clearly need to drink more. But anyway, like all I'm saying is there's this aspect of the work you're doing that there's an artistry to it. There's a usefulness to it. There's a, um, there's a communal nature to it. Um, and that's the thing I, I, I I'd love um, to kind of hear how you've, how your Christianity and how you're like following Jesus has been shaped by all of these things that in a sense you're managing. Um, but also in a sense, you're, it's your Avenue to affect change for the greater good. Like, like people love the work of your hands in that sense, right? Like there's, mm -hmm. there, there's a beauty and artistry. And then there's also a, a like an effectiveness to it that I think I'd love for you to explore. Yeah, I think there's twofold, right? Like there's that just the experience of goodness, right? Kind of gives you a taste. Um, but to me, I think actually just to rewind a little bit while speaking about like human flourishing, I, I, I think one of the things that I think about when I think of that word human flourishing is I think about the idea of, and this is a big like spooky word, right? But I think of the idea of, of sin, and I think one of the best definitions I've heard of that word sin, like this big boogeyman, scary word is, is anything that, that leads us away from or out of the flourishing that God intended for yeah, us. That's great. And so when I think wow. about my, like my work, whether it's as a part of my work as a pastor with my local church here in Vermont or my work with my business here, I, I, I think about not only creating beauty in the world and contributing to that, but to looking to what's really broken in the world as well and, and being a part of, of what, of the work that I believe that God is doing in our world, which is restoring, renewing, reconciling all things. So when I mentioned earlier that I don't think that like vivid coffee is a ministry, so to speak, but there are values that I take to it that are, kingdom of God values, how that could look like is, well, if you look at the history of coffee and you look at the context of coffee specifically as a global commodity and a global trade is there's tons of brokenness in the industry. And oh, wow. typically producers, coffee farmers, pickers, um, mul multiple hands that are involved in producing the coffee from seed to cup there's not been a tremendous amount of, of equity throughout that value chain mm -hmm. um, in coffee specifically as an industry. So if I can implement wow. buying practices in my business that address those issues to some capacity, that try to do better, that look at, can we source coffee in a way in which producers are being paid a, a fair wage for the work that they're doing and in return can pay farm workers on their farms a fair wage for the work that they're doing. And if there's a way that we can do that transparently in a way that builds relationship with those producers, with those communities and can lead to a, a, you know, a meaningful change at least in their life or in their community, the, the industry is huge. So there's not really anything sounds a bit nihilistic that vivid coffee is going to do that's really going to move the needle much but if we can move the needle 
in the lives of the people that we're involved with and connected to and relating to, I think that's where, where my commitment and passion and kind of motivation lies. Do you feel like for your role in church that, you know, maybe you might've come in and I'm sure everyone who, who plants a church or comes on staff at a church or, you know, steps into leadership comes in with a picture. I mean, you, I don't know how long after being done with Bible college it was that you went uh, to step into that church role and helping launch a church, but you come in like with heart eyes, right? And you're excited. You're like, YOLO, let's go. We're going to build something. This is going to be amazing. It's going to be different. This is get, We're going to be the ones who change the story. Like everyone who went before us was this way, but we came and we figured out the sauce. Mm-hmm. And then you came in and you learned, oh, crap. Um, it's not as easy or it's not as simple or it's not as, you know, the, the idealistic approach I took. And I'm not saying that you had this idealistic approach, but yeah. were there things that you got in and you realized, oh, oh man, I, I had no clue um, that when you stepped into, um, you know, building coffee that you learned from building, not a business, but a church that you were like, I, I have all this experience and all of this stuff that I've learned in building and working with people and, and building teams and kind of creating mission that has shaped how now I'm approaching, approaching uh, business. I think that's, I feel that way like that, like, oh, oh no, I didn't understand at all, kind of at numerous stages throughout the process. And I think going back a bit further, like before I, I started Vivid in 2015, because something you said made me think about this. When I moved here to be a part of this church plant, I, and Ashish asked about um, bivocational work and ministry as well. I had this kind of idea that if you didn't, you didn't really have to work for the church, you could just kind of work 40 hours, do church. And I learned through that process that there was actually something there to vocational ministry. Like I learned that my, my kind of perspective around that was a little bit naive and immature. Um, because we were, we were starting, you know, a new church and we were actually trying to, you know, I mean, really ask the question, what does it look like to be the, to be a church community, a community of faith in a post-Christian context? which is not unique to Vermont or Burlington. It's similar in probably most urban uh, urban areas in the US, right? Um, You know, it's becoming increasingly a kind of a post-Christian kind of context where we're asking, what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus in this context? And so we're, you know, we're, I, I think a little bit timid to look like church of the past because we wanted to we wanted so much to be different you know we wanted to kind of like fit into the context we're in um and I, I I didn't realize at the time that to be paid by the church you know vocationally is it, it can be incredibly freeing um to an individual in their capacity to actually love and care for people in their community whether they're church community or people outside of their community. Um, with that said, when I got started with Vivid Coffee, I also thought, oh, you know, this will be cool. It'll be like a, a source of income. So, um, you know, like I can do this and this can help supplement the ministry and like the, the work with the church. That's like where the real work happens, right? Like preaching, teaching, pastoring, you know, doing, doing all those things, you know, and like this business, like to me, when I started, you know, the business best case scenario that becomes like supplemental income for the real work. And so I kind of like learned throughout that process that that perspective was a bit naive and unaware. And so there, there's an evolution that I think kind of takes place 
or took place at least in, in my life where it wasn't just the work was taking place over here. And this was a way of making money to help, you know, make sure that I'm feeding my family and my kids and we can pay, you know, our rent or, or our mortgage and like best case scenario, this helps pay for all that stuff. So I can do like the work over here um, rather than finding meaning and calling and purpose in that work. Um, and so I've kind of experienced it in, in both ends, you know, like first saying like, oh, you know what, like you don't need to be paid by the, by the church to like do ministry to being like, okay, you know, any business or work outside of the church, you know, at best case scenario, that's supplementing income. So you're able to do the real work at some, some other place in some other way, you know? Um, and so I think there's an evolution and, and the change of mindset there constantly on like, you know, how I'm engaging that and thinking about that. Yeah. And I love that you're talking about that evolution. I think, I think if anything, this last year has required all of us to be thinking differently, right. About how do we do ministry? How do, how do we pastor our people? How do we ensure people are okay? Um, you know, as, you know, as we kind of just transition a little bit, like talk to us about, um, how this last year has affected maybe you personally, but also the church you're a part of and what are you noticing? How did you guys pivot? What did you, how did you, um, you know, just as you talked about that kind of like ability to learn and adapt, like how did you guys put that into practice this last year? That's a great question. I keep on saying that's a great question, but that's a great question, my friend. Um, no, I, I've learned a lot over the past year and, so our, our church, we've been, we've been digital only. I think Ashish, I think your church has been digital only throughout the Pandini. Can we call it the Pandini? I heard it. I know you're not on TikTok because I listened to the episodes, but I heard a Scottish <laughs> woman say Pandini on TikTok. And I was like, that's it. That's, that's it, it from now on. So I'm just sharing what, that. What's funny is my kids have like, rediscovered panda cereal it's uh panda puffs from okay from uh, trader joe's and they call it panda panda okay. and sometimes we'll call it pando which isn't really that's not very funny now that i'm saying it out loud but you know, pando pandemic, pandini pandemic, pan, you know, whatever it's it was stupid i'm sorry i'm gonna mute and, myself now and you can <laughs> <that answer. laughs> and so we we uh we went to digital very early on where we were and we just tried all sorts of crazy things. Like we were doing Facebook live. It was crashing. We were doing zoom. It was crashing. <laughs> <laughs> and this is so, it's so nice to talk to you guys, but preaching to a camera or a screen or a laptop is so strange. Anyways. So yeah, I agree. <laughs> prior, prior to the Pandini, we were exploring what, and, and asking questions about what do we want our church to look like, in, you know, in three years, five years, really asking what, what kind of church do we want to be in the future? And we were really moving towards a couple things. And we're our church tends to move very, very slowly with things. We don't just kind of jump into like a new vision or a new kind of like mission. We just kind of take things very slowly. It's just kind of the way things operate and a couple of the directions we were moving were around this idea of becoming a church that was less centralized and what we meant by that is becoming less sunday focused less folk less focused on the things that happen on a sunday preaching teaching worship and kind of the event that was a sunday so becoming less centralized more decentralized and then also exploring what would it look like to be a church that practiced the way of Jesus more intentionally through spiritual practices, um, kind of like a formation, formation discipleship-based approach to faith where we were really asking questions. Does our, not only, you know, is our preaching, teaching good on a Sunday, um, is our worship good, but 
Are, are we integrating the life that Jesus talked about, taught, and lived in the Gospels in our lives as a church community um, and, and as a people? Um, and so what the pandemic did was it kind of like forced us to become less centralized because especially when we're able to gather in small groups more easily through the summer and the fall, um, we we're having backyard church. And so we went from having Sunday church to having backyard church that wasn't centered on a teaching, but it was, it was centered on spiritual practices and also centered on d- discussion around a scripture. And so we came not with a teaching, but we came with questions and we came with practices. And so our, our community was being equipped with practices that were forming forming us to be followers of Jesus. And it really kind of moved us into a, a place that we wanted to be in, but we probably would have said, you know, that's two, three years down the line um, where, where we were really forced to kind of engage who we wanted to be and become sooner than we had planned. That's huge. Um, uh, could I ask you guys a question? Yeah. You were not allowed. No, just kidding. (laughs) Thinking about that, because I think about how in a lot of ways the last year kind of pushed us forward into some of those spaces. I wonder if the last year in any ways pushed you in your local context, in your, in your local churches, um, forward in ways that you didn't expect, um, or, or maybe backwards in a way that you weren't expecting, because while what I said sounded nice about, oh yeah, like we were pushed and we're doing, you know, these things that I, I think were really great. I think in other ways, especially like in a digital Sunday service, we, we kind of like reverted backward, backward in some ways to we're just doing worship. So we'll have a couple songs, we'll have a teaching and that's our, like our Sunday service because we're in like survival mode. Right. Um, and so we're, we're kind of forced backward in some ways, in some of the ways we're engaging and thinking about church. So I wonder if, if, um, if there's anything that comes to your mind that like you were pushed forward into the last year or, or backward over the last year. Um, I'll, yeah, I, I can jump in here. The, I think in some sense, it was a mix of both Ian, where it was a bit backwards and a bit forwards. Um, I think there was definitely like, like we, our church was very similar to yours Ian, where we're still remote. Um, we're actually now beginning the conversation around getting back together at some point, um, here in the next like Easter or something like that. We're trying to navigate that. But I think in some sense, the way we were backwards, is we definitely missed out on the connection piece. We tried our best, but um, th- th- there's definitely this, this um, anxiety and fear that has kind of dominated and crushed the spirits of our, of our people in some sense. Like people just are so fearful and afraid. Um, and I don't know if digital media has either helped that or encouraged that or kind of broken them out of that. So I think in some sense, we've missed out on the human connection. This is where like, I look at like what Taylor's church did and I think, oh, like that's really cool in some sense, right? Like there's this human connection. Um, I think uh, on a positive sense, our church was so anti-digital <laughs> mm-hmm. that the pandemic, the pandini, as you've been calling it, um, yeah. forced us to think digital for the first time. Cause we were kind of the smaller downtown church that, you know, we loved kind of the, the, the messiness of in-person and the friction of it. It was so different from every kind of hyper-produced service that the average Christian attends in America, right? So it was different. And I think the pandemic kind of forced us to think about a service plan, to think more, like we do care about order, but in the sense of like digital, like how do we, how do we ensure that these people who are connecting online have some kind of an engagement piece Um, you know, what are things we provide throughout the week? So I think that digital piece is something that's here to stay. Um, because we have to think about technology and if we don't leverage the technology, we're kind of shooting ourselves in the foot because the next generation, like millennials and younger, we're all on our devices staring at screens anyway. 
Mm-hmm. We need to figure that piece out as a church. So, so that, that those are kind of, it was kind of a mixed bag. I would, I would argue for us. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, yeah, there's both a backward and forward, but I think even the backwards is forward because like my mom used to say, there are certain things that make you more of who you already are. And so like money makes you more of who you are, right? Uh, tragedy or loss make you more of who you are. So whatever comes out was already in you. And so Mm -hmm. the pandemic, I think, accelerated things that were already in motion. And so I think in that sense, the negatives that have come up needed to come up. And the blessing, if we hear it right, is that these negatives that have come to the surface are an invitation to explore what was already in there. And so, you know, I think every leader um, in any sphere has had some gold just squeezed out of them in the season and also had some, um, some mess that has been squeezed out. I know for me, that's definitely the case and there's still some residue for sure. And so, but you know, there's a difference between allowing it to define you, but like the negative, like, which I don't want to do, but allowing it to just be that call to, all right, there's some things I need to sift through because in order to step into the next season, you know, if we were just super hyper Pentecostal faith people, we'd say our breakthrough uh, is on the other end of our, I don't know <laughs> what I was going to say, but I mean, it, but it's, it's so true though. It's like, yeah. no, I mean, if I want to, if I want to up my leadership or if I want to up my capacity uh, or whatever, then I do have to navigate. All right there are some immaturities that I have or some deficiencies here and it's no shame on me. It's just an opportunity for me to grow. And so in order for me to grow, I have to grow. And so, um, so I think in that sense, it's just been a huge invitation to just like, all right, time to level up time to those things that I used to chalk up to um, being okay, that they were just mediocre in my life. I can't. Now I have to like look at it, stare at stare at it in the face, and say I'm going to get better, and um, and not write it off as well. This is just I get to choose. This is one of my weaknesses that I keep a weakness. Mm-hmm. Um, I may never be default one way, but I can definitely get better. So I think that's been a huge, huge thing. And mm-hmm. then, but I, and I I also think there were just some balls that we were kicking. Oh, that sounds funny. Um, there were like, I, I picture it and I've, I've probably shared this with Ashish before. It's like a, a soccer ball that you keep, like if you're walking down the street with a friend and you keep kicking the ball and you kick it 20, 30 feet ahead of you and then you keep walking and you come up on the ball again, you kick it again. Digital was one of those things. Um, certain structures and leadership, culture, vision, whatever, um, mission stuff, uh, there were certain ones that we let go of a few years ago and we never really replaced it. And so we lost parts of our identity as a church and as a community. Uh, this one big, huge event we used to do, uh, or actually two of them. One was a uh, single mom's uh, oil change day where we'd change the oil of single moms. And, and long story short, some things happened that caused us to back off of that. Um, and, um, and so, but we never replaced it with something that was a, a part of our identity for 18 years that we did as a church. Hmm. Um, and we, we ended that the year before the, um, like I think 2019. And then we had this thing called back to school barbecue where we served like thousands in the community with backpack backpacks and, you know, back to school care stuff that had been going on since before we became a, became a church. And when we moved out to our current site, we adopted that and kept it going. Um, so in that sense, there were some things that we had just kept kicking down the road. We're going to get to this eventually. Now we have to, because we can't just keep going in this place of saying we're going to get to it eventually. So we can't get to it eventually. We have to really grab a hold of this stuff and say, it's time for us to get it and, and get it wrong, but at least get it. And eventually we'll get it right. And so I think that's been a a massive thing. A lot of learning, man, a lot of, a lot mm-hmm. of unlearning, a lot of realization that, yeah, we, we had some things that were, you know, you might even call it idols, um, that were out of order. Uh, Mark Sayers calls it good things out of order. Um, or he, I don't know if he coined it, but, um, there's some good things, but they were out of order. So services, it's a good thing, but it could mm-hmm. be out of order. And so reordering those things to 
do what you said, which is pl- practice the way of Jesus. And I also, and my daughter just lost a tooth. And, uh, <laughs> so yeah. That's amazing. Hey, I'm recording with my friends. Go show mommy. That's amazing. So I'll pass that it on to first you guys. While my, that's her third tooth. And here's my third tooth. Son. Hi, buddy. Go find mommy. Okay, buddy. <laughs> it's a so, it's a moment of celebration right now there it is Seriously. there it is yeah oh man so and that's um, that's the other thing that's a blessing in disguise is it it reordered kids family life what's most important and not that i ever knew yeah. it was lower on it was never lower on the list but it highlighted how high up the list it needs to be so that's huge mm. can we ask you one last question yes what, uh, and this is kind of putting you on the spot, what do you see for the future of the church? Uh, meta level, church in the West, church in America, your church, as you guys, I know you spoke a little bit to it, decentralization, you can riff on that a little bit more, but what do you see for the future of the church? And maybe uh, a side question for that would be, what are you encouraged about mm. uh, that you see the Western church stepping into? Because there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, darts in some that we deserve coming at the church, uh, but man, there's plenty that the church is learning and stepping into, and God loves His church and He's refining it. And so, uh, what do you see that encourages you? And as you look to the future of the church, hmm. so I'm going to speak from an an aspirational and a hopeful perspective for me, because these are things that we really need to work on, and I think we have to address some some pretty serious things to get to these places, but, uh, I, it's my, I I would aspire to and hope that as the church grows and, and even maybe go as far as saying the the church needs this in order to grow is that the church, at least in the U S needs to become more multi-ethnic, multicultural, um, a, a part of our community. And so, um, multicultural, multi-ethnic, I think is a part of what the church needs to be and who the church needs to become. Um, I'd, I'd also would love to see a unifying in the church between the contemplative and the charismatic. So we all went to a, a very charismatic Bible college, right? And I love that. And I learned so much about that. And the church that I moved out here to be, to help plant in 2010, I was really compelled by a a vision of being a part of a church community that was engaging our local context in a creative, different, uh, you might say kind of missional way, though that word is a little bit like buzzwordy, but I'd love to see a unifying of the missional church movement uh, the contemplative movement, which incorporates spiritual practices, uh, practice-based faith, and the charismatic, so listening to the Spirit of God. So uh, just a unifying of those those th- three kind of streams or emphasis that, you know, I've been grateful to be a part of. Um, but though I, I, I do see like a lot of kind of internal darts thrown at one another. So uh, a unifying of the missional, the contemplative, and the charismatic. And I think one of the things that I'm seeing that really encourages me as I look out at the landscape of the church is I see I, I see a faith that is in, in a church that is addressing a faith and seeking a faith that is holistic in its approach. So it's not only concerned with a spirit and that spirit being saved from hell to get to heaven, but it's really concerned with the whole person, body, soul, and spirit. Um, and, and I see that across traditions, across denominations, and that's something that's encouraging me in the church is seeing, um, I don't think maybe it's something new to this season, but maybe it's a renewal right now, a renewal of uh, of an emphasis on uh, Jesus and God being concerned with people being made whole, body, soul, and spirit, and the church really um, being committed to that and taking taking up that call and and addressing it in a meaningful way. So I, I think 
I don't know if that answers your question fully, but those are some things that I've been thinking about. I love it. I think, I mean, you, we could, we could probably jump off of that for another 45 minutes, but we won't. So I think you said it well, and I think it's, I think it's incredible. And I think we're going to see that few, and maybe we can, uh, the next episode that we have you on, we can kind of step into that. What does it look like to see a, a unifying between the contemplative and the charismatic, the, the spirit and the word, whatever. I mean, and we could probably draw a lot of parallels there, but what does it look like to see a unifying between that? I think that would be really, really cool to, to touch on. So part two, Boom. as we wrap up, uh, I want to, I want our listeners to actually get a taste of vivid coffee. Um, so, you know, Taylor and I have already got our bags, but, um, we'd love for our listeners to also get theirs. So, um, so Taylor, what are we going to do for our listeners, um, to get them some vivid coffee? Yeah, well, uh, this can actually be our first official sponsor because if you enter the code future, uh, go to vividcoffee.com. Is that right? Vividcoffee.com. Correct. Yes. I got it right. Vividcoffee.com. Enter the promo code future and you'll get 10% off your order. Make sure you support them. It's incredible coffee. I can say that from firsthand experience. I know my brother actually uh, drinks Vivid often and loves it and supporting a great business. And Ian, we do definitely appreciate uh, what you what you bring to the table. The insights you brought uh, were, were really insightful and I think helpful for people because it's not just about ministry. It's not just about, um, you know, church world but it's really about seeing uh goodness and human flourishing and how that was a, a central message to the kingdom of god so uh, I, we hope that you will uh enjoy this and uh listen again and but of course also support vivid coffee and what they're doing out there in burlington love you guys